Is how you eat more important than what you eat? On today's episode of the podcast, we're going to answer that question with our guest, Danielle Bins. Welcome back to Feeding the Family with Dr. Kristen. I'm your host, Kristen Saxena. As parents, a lot of us feel like what we feed our kids is super important. The messaging that we get from the doctor's office, from the internet, is all about information on what we should be feeding our kids. And it can be very stressful. It took me a long time to realize that it actually is more important that we focus on the approach or the way or the how of how we feed ourselves and our family than the what we feed ourselves and our family. And on today's episode, we're going to explore that topic even more with our guest, Danielle Bins. All right. Well, thanks for coming on the show, Danielle. Thanks so much, Kristen. Great to be here. So you are a certified nutritional practitioner. You are a mom of three girls. And you now uh, devote yourself professionally to helping families, coaching families, through the trials and tribulations of feeding kids, um, as well as wellness for adults. Is that correct? Yes. So it's actually um, an interesting mix. I came from the corporate space. I came from you know working uh, in marketing uh, for a number of companies. So I actually do some corporate wellness stuff, but then I do family nutrition and and picky eating. So it's all the things to keep me busy enough on top of three kids. <laughs> yeah, that seems like plenty. Well, so I I think I really wanted to start on this show. You know, we really wanted to talk about the idea that I've talked about in other shows, this idea that how you eat and how you feed your family is even more important than what you eat or what you feed your family. Um, and I think that in some ways that seems like a simple concept, but in other ways it's kind of a lot to unpack in terms of it's not the way that we always approach uh, feeding ourselves or feeding our family. Um, and mm-hmm. I thought a great place to start might be, um, you know, I have I know a little bit about your story and your story with your daughter. And maybe if you could share a little bit how you kind of came to um, these conclusions or how you kind of came to some of the strategies you use with your families through your your personal journey. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so for everybody, you know, it's a, it's a longer story, but I'll try to kind of uh, condense it. So um, I was actually in nutrition school, uh, studying how to, studying fertility because I had PCOS at the time, uh, PCOS, so polycystic ovarian syndrome, for those who don't know. And so I was in school to, help myself and mm-hmm. uh ended up getting pregnant <laughs> so I was like, it was working <laughs> yeah exactly but then when i had my and, and so my first pregnancy was you know it was so blissful um i hadn't gained a bunch of weight so i felt very comfortable and and then i soon realized why i hadn't gained a bunch of weight and it's because she was super tiny so I ended up being induced because um, she wasn't gaining and her percentiles were, were, were dropping. So when she was born, we had a, t- a ton of struggles with feeding or like nursing and feeding. And I was like, okay, I know nursing could be difficult. So once she starts solids, it's gonna be all good. Mm-hmm. But through that process, we discovered that she also had a, a congenital heart condition. So a hole in her heart that needed to be repaired. So we thought, okay, when she has her heart surgery, she's gonna eat better. Mm-hmm. Well, when she had her heart surgery, did not change anything when she started solids things got worse and so we kept waiting for that next thing that was like, okay this is when things are going to change and even our pediatrician 
you know, was trying to console us and give us some peace of mind that she's just on her own growth curve. She was actually below the zero percentile, Kristen. Mm -hmm. So, um, so as a mom, you know, when you've got that motherly instinct, you're like, something doesn't quite feel right here. And so we, uh, we started to push for genetic testing and, and so on, and then discovered that she had a, um, another congenital condition, which, uh, influences appetite for a lot of kids. So I ended up going to school to study how, um, study children's eating. And what I learned, you know, as a nutritionist, I knew what to feed her, mm -hmm. right? Kind of know being, you know, a health advocate like yourself, we know to put the rainbow fruits and veggies fruits and veggies and healthy fats and proteins in front of them. But if they're not going to eat it, <laughs> we're no further ahead. So with my daughter, I focused so much. I stressed myself out on trying to get her to eat and was doing all the tricks. And I was exhausted. I mean, like sweating by the end of a mealtime that um, once I started studying picky eating, speaking to experts around the world and reading loads of books over a year, over the year, I put her on a program. My husband and I said, OK, what we're doing is not working. Let's try something else. And when we did, we noticed almost immediate changes. She would start to tell us she was hungry for the first time. So for a kid like ours, that was a really unique scenario. Mm -hmm. She didn't have much of an appetite. She started to try new foods. She was even gaining weight. And that is when the pediatri our pediatrician, our endocrinologist, and even the dietitian were taking notes, asking me what I was doing differently. And so that's you know perfect segue to the topic today, which is focusing on the how. I focused yeah. way too much on the what initially. And um, yeah, so I know that we'll get into that. Yeah, I mean, I think you touched on so many topics that are just like near and dear to my heart. Um, a lot of the things that you said, number one, um, having that sort of like parental instinct where you're you're getting these answers, but it's just not, and you're getting these strategies to use and it's just not fitting or it just doesn't seem to be helping. And you get this sort of sense like something something's wrong or something else is going on. And I think that that idea that a lot of times as parents, sometimes we don't trust that instinct. And that's mm -hmm. something, you know, I've reinforced with a lot of families too. Like even with the strategies that I will kind of help, um, help people out with at some point it's sort of like, you know, if, there is always these possibilities that other things are going on. And so if you're trying these things and you're still getting the sense, you know, I really feel like there's something else, keep pursuing it, which you did, which I think <clears throat> I think really speaks to that. The other thing, like you yeah. said, being a nutritionist or how I felt sort of within the um, realm of medicine, you learn a lot about facts in terms of, you know, what are the nutrients that you need to grow and develop well? What does a balanced diet look like? Um, and I think that's all very useful knowledge and it's very important to know, but at the same time, you know, that's a lot, the what of eating. What we mm -hmm. fail to, what what I think a lot of um, in the professional realm that people fail to address is that how. And so that's why we see this disconnect where it's like we're giving people the information about the what, but it's not translating into any help for families or help for people to eat better because we've ignored the how. And so, yes, I would love to segue into this topic where, you know, you kind of, in your own personal experience, have realized like, wow, we really need to focus on the how. And I love that story about you saying, you know, even the doctors and the dietitian are taking notes because it's, again, it's just sort of this paradigm shift about how are we gonna look at this and address this in the first place. So tell me a little bit about your opinion. Like, how did you come to this conclusion and what did that mean to you? You know, it was, um I think it was partly just we had done there was so much trial and error mm -hmm. with everything we were doing to try and get her to eat that 
you just have to at some point say, okay, I'm I'm at point A and I need to get point B. If I keep doing the same things over and over again, we're gonna stay where we are. So we had to sit down and and I you know I shared my husband with my husband the research that I had come across and put together this plan. And we, you know, part of it too was also knowing through my 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 um, through my research that children actually have this incredible ability to self-regulate mm-hmm. if we allow them to especially in their younger years unlike adults you know when you're last night i was watching netflix which doesn't happen very often but i had a, it was our first day back to school and so it was a crazy day and i just needed to decompress at the end of the night and i noticed that when i sit on the couch i need to have popcorn hmm. right now there's worse things i could eat but it's like this trick it's um, when I'm eating popcorn, I'm not even noticing before I know mm-hmm. the bowl's empty, mm-hmm. right? And so as adults, we eat, or, you know, even children at a certain age, we eat because not because out of hunger, but out mm-hmm. of just trigger. And, and and so with kids, they actually will stop eating when they're full at a younger age, right? When yeah. they, when we were talking about the first few years, they will eat more protein when they need it. It's interesting because you actually don't see kids eat balanced meals very often. And that's for mm-hmm. a reason because they're typically eating based on what they need until we start to influence. And that 85% of parents control mm-hmm. their child's intake of food. So that then takes that this, this magic of self-regulation when it comes to food and we kind of steal it from them a little bit too early. Totally. So I would, I knew that. And then you've, I'm sure you, you know, have also seen you know this like, obesity epidemic with kids and eating disorders amongst kids and anxiety and all of that and i just did not want i could tell my daughter was stressed at every meal mm-hmm. and i did not want to be the reason i didn't want to fuel that for her i didn't want her to be one of those people that grows up and still has eating issues when they're older because of how they were fed mm-hmm. so yeah to answer your question it was out of fear and just necessity that we needed to change the the direction that we that that we took um and so why the how well again you know it's it's uh, parent when parents reach out to me most of the time it's the question is i want my child to be eating more vegetables mm-hmm. I, they're not eating enough protein um don't, how do i get them to take a bite of something right how do i and so it was all about eating yeah but eating is actually the last step so if we think about kind of um raising adventurous eaters being a staircase there are up to 42 steps that a child needs to take with each food in order to feel good um, good enough to take that last step and get to the top of the staircase now some foods like a cookie or you know ice cream for some kids it's like one step step. (laughs) yeah it's one step but it's actually not it's uh, they know that they can do the other steps Mm -hmm. so when they lack confidence in some of these mini steps then it, it, it shuts down the process, right? It's, it, it, they they t- in, in, uh, they reject it, and they make it clear to us: I'm not eating this food until I'm ten. I don't eat green foods. Veggies are grown up foods, right? So they say these things to really to make sure that we hear them loud and clear. It's because they don't feel comfortable taking that next step. So I, when I focused on when I talk about the how, you know, and you hit the nail on the head in, in the beginning, uh, Kristen, is that the how is in the, the it's how we're talking about food. How are we serving food? How are we approaching meal times? Um, how are we, how are we expressing our own relationship with food? Mm-hmm. All of those pieces are more important than the food we put on the table. 
Yeah, I loved so, how you talked about, um, you know, just this idea of really in the end, um, you know, at the moment it seems so urgent that we say like, I feel like my kid isn't eating enough vegetables. I feel like my child doesn't eat enough protein. Um, and it causes that worry and that care causes us to like create these interventions. But it's it's really a very short, it feels long-term because I always say like, you know, when you're in the moment, it feels like this is the way things are gonna be forever. But instead, I think sometimes thinking of, you know, feeding your your child is really an 18 year plus job, right? So it's, yeah. what's happening today or what's happening tomorrow isn't usually as urgent as saying like, what is the long-term effects of the things that I'm doing? And I feel like that sort of mindset shift, like you mentioned, you know, these ideas that when I'm sitting on the couch watching Netflix and all of a sudden I accidentally finish a bowl of popcorn without even realizing it, you know, when you start to think about those things, it becomes a little bit easier to go, oh, you know, I can see how when I'm, you know, putting my, um, like an iPad in front of my child so that she'll be distracted long enough to sit and eat the two bites of broccoli I really want her to eat. Um, I can see how that maybe translates to an adult who's um, gotten into the habit of, like you said, like ignoring those cues of internal regulation, internal hunger, fullness, ignoring those body's cues that are telling me like, hey, you know, my body needs more protein, maybe not more starches today or whatever it is. Um, we're we're creating habits out of a place of love and concern for our child that in the long term really translate unfortunately to like what you're saying you know these these habits that are creating situations like disordered eating and they're creating situations like obesity because we're we're controlling their eating um, with efforts to control what they're eating today, you know, whether that be like, you need to finish your plate, two more bites. Those are all messages that are, are reinforcing this idea that I should ignore the cues that my body is giving me. Um, yep. And so I yes. think that that shift once, once I was able, cause same for me, you know, I, I the same thing, I, I was very interested in nutrition and food uh, as a doctor and I was, always getting questions from families at the same time as I was kind of starting my own young family. And you start to realize like these things, this knowledge that I have about nutrition doesn't translate to real life. Um, mm -hmm. And then when you start to like, same as you, I started to do a lot more studying into how do children eat? And when you start to realize like, gosh, we're, we're kind of born with um, this internal sense of what we need. And just like you said, the research will show that in general, kids will eat what they need and they will not eat more than they need and they will select what what they need for their growth and nutrition at that time but it doesn't always look like you know the the fancy picture of the plate that we give you at the pediatrician that says you know it should be half a cup of this and a fourth a cup of this well that's not how your kid's going to eat every day but unfortunately i feel like a lot of the messaging that we get as parents makes us believe well I, that's how my kids should be eating and you know you yeah. can look on the internet and you can find tons of recipes and all kinds of information about what your kid can be eating um, but in the end you start to realize that what you really want to raise is a mindful intuitive eater who has a good relationship with food and their body and that doesn't necessarily mean that you know they got the fourth cup of vegetables that they were supposed to be every day of their life and in fact you know you start to be, be like oh by trying so hard to make that happen i've actually created situations where you know i've i've caused this natural process 
to be disrupted because I've I've reinforced or taught them to ignore what their body was naturally telling them, which for me was like mind blowing. Yeah, for yeah, absolutely. You know, it's it, we don't sometimes don't see it though, right, Kristen? Because we're so in it. And parents, because I do so much work, especially on the on the employee wellness side now, I'm seeing all this research that people are not only stressed out but burnt out, and mm-hmm. particularly parents, working parents. So when we come home from work or if we're working from home and you know trying to get dinner on the table and then we get the the pushback and we we snap into this um we take a, a reactive approach right our response is to the you know the meltdowns over what's been served or mm-hmm. the fact that they're hungry and they just want a snack or asking for alternatives and we're exhausted and so our approach isn't you know, something that's maybe productive to raising better eaters, but this is kind of the world we're in. And sometimes parents just don't have the strategies or know what to do because they're just in survival mode half the time. So, you know, I what I tell parents is I, I try to keep it things really simple because if it, it, there's there's a list like my protocol is like six weeks long, right? Mm-hmm. And it's it's about thirteen steps, and and so. I'm all about breaking it down, right? Because with anything, I've done a lot of research on habit changing as well. And if we just give parents like one little thing that they can do, and then they see the success in that, they feel a sense of achievement and accomplishment. They're like, okay, I could do that. Totally. Now let's do the next, you know, what's the next thing I can take on? And so parents just, if, you know, we tell them, okay, you just got to focus on the how. It's like, well, what do you mean? It's like drinking from a fire hose because they don't actually, that means it's, it feels like, it feels overwhelming. Mm-hmm. And so then they shut down. But if we just say something as simple as, you know, um, start with like start with just smiling at mealtimes. Right? I love like, that. How, yeah. Well, just think about how often we smile. So I have a we have a big mirror over our our kitchen table, or at least we used to. We've we've since moved. But I remember seeing my reflection when we were going through all of this these dreadful meal times. And I looked miserable. <laughs> I looked like and someone- And kids pick I up on that. They do. Yeah. Yeah. And actually, at, right from a young age, the research shows that even an infant who is nursing, being nursed mm-hmm. by their mother, if the mother is feeling stressed or anxious, the ch- the infant's heart rate increases. Mm-hmm. They, they they have that uncanny ability to-, to uh, Kind of, they're part of they feel part of us and they they can they respond to what our, our emotions are so yeah to your point they sense that mom and dad are you know discontent or frustrated and so why would any kid want to come and sit at the table for an extended period of time when it's not a happy place to be when they could be playing or watching tv or being with their friends or doing whatever right so one of the first things we can do and there's cycle uh, there's um a bunch of uh, research behind the psychology of smiling <laughs> and that when we do, it actually changes our brain chemistry, right? So when we smile, yeah. it actually, uh, it helps bring down the, that stress level. And so when our kids see that, they might think we're a little bit nuts because they don't see us smile very often. Or think about how often you walk down the street and you see someone smile. You're like, something's wrong with that person. <laughs> you know, that's so funny because when you mentioned that, this is a little off topic, but it just made me think. I sort of, I'm a nerd and I read all this stuff too and I'm very interested in all these things and so I have this little loop that I um, jog by our house often it's a trail so there's lots of people on there walking their dogs and whatnot and I really have done this experiment like I don't I don't collect any data but I just 
made this effort to like give a big smile to like everyone that I walk by. And it's like, you know, you can, people are sometimes walking by, I'm sure they're deep in thought and they look kind of grumpy. And then they're, it just brings this like huge smile to their face. And I was like, wow, like I, I think that that just speaks to this sort of like contagiousness of a smile and sort of the way that you can pass on your own positivity, even if it's faked. Like I've said that too. Sometimes you have to fake it till you'll make it. You know what I mean? A little bit where it's like, I'm stressed, but I'm going to put on a happy face. But before you know it, because it doesn't matter how I went into that run, I probably went in like thinking about eight things I needed to do, you know, and maybe not in the best mood. But by the end of it, I'm like just overjoyed by the like smiles I've gotten back, right? Like every time someone smiles back at me, I get a little bit happier myself. And so I love that. And I also love this concept. So the book that I have coming out in the spring is actually called The Happier Meal, How to Enjoy Your Food and Your Kid. And I think that that just hits the heart of it is that the first step is really like bringing joy to the table and like eliminating the stress from the mealtime regardless of what you're eating. And I love everything that you're saying in terms of, you know, it's just about several steps, tiny baby steps, it's meeting yourself where you are and getting those little wins that can bring you to that next micro step if it needs to be. Um, and so, I mean, I just think your approach is brilliant. I would love to hear like what are, I know you kind of said like, step one can just be smiling at the table. Um, what are some of the other kind of steps that you suggest for families that are just getting into this, like the very first things? Well, first I, um, you know, gosh, there's like so many that like come to you know, Yeah. What, what are the ones that I want to share right now? So thinking about removing eating as the goal right mm -hmm. so instead of saying when i ask parents what dictates you know was this a successful meal for you they will say yes if their child ate well or tried something new right it centers around eating and they'll say no if they did not eat well or try something new or they fought back on the food or whatnot but i challenge parents you know listening to this and parents who follow me and so on to don't just look at what what they're eating look at how they're look at the all the other steps mm -hmm. so are they engaging with foods are they um, have they touched something they've never touched before have they sat at the table a little bit longer um and also you know one of the when i teach parents in you know my raising adventurous eaters club which is a membership that i've been running for three years now what we do parents want the the what right they want mm -hmm. to know what kind of food should i put in front of my my child um just one second here i'm gonna turn off my um yes they want to know what types of food should i put in front of my child what um what can i what kind of recipes can i make what i need a meal plan for my family mm -hmm. and instead you know what else what we do in the club we give them every month we focus on a food so like last month or this month, coming month is avocados um previous month was you know spinach and then there was oranges and so we're, we're giving parents what they want but we're also secretly giving them what they need which is the how mm -hmm. and so a couple things so one thing we're doing um this month in terms of the how what we do actually every month is exploration so there's four uh, four pillars that i encourage parents to focus on and i call them the four e's to better eating so enjoyment is one hence why i'm telling you to smile right <laughs> because that then creates this uh just a happier mealtime cycle 
Two is exposure. We got to expose our kids to to a variety of foods. And that's mm -hmm. why every month in the club, we're, we're encouraging parents to do that and show them how to do it in, in an engaging way. Three is exploration and four is expansion, which is what all parents want is how do I expand my child's food list? And so the, the piece that is, um, that is often missing or is, is the exposure and the expand is, and the exploration. And so when I say exposure, I, I mean, getting foods in front of your kids on a regular cadence that isn't necessarily their favorite, necessarily their favorite. So, you know, one thing I, I would suggest parents do, if you ask your child, what would you like for lunch? What should we have for dinner? Then we've now, we are keeping ourselves in at stage one, which we talked about. And if you want to get to point B, then we need to remove that question from our language and our vocabulary. Because when we ask our kids, oh, what would you like for dinner? What are we going to hear? The same food, right? Right, over and over again. They're not going to say, "Hey, mom, I, I'd actually really like to try some uh, some asparagus today." I've never had asparagus, right? They're never yeah. going to say, "Let's uh, let's have a salad for dinner," right? Unless your kid loves salads. My kids, my kids now do love salads, but you know, they're not going to say things like that. They're going to ask for the chicken nuggets or the pasta with no sauce or whatever right. that favorite. Food and in is. particular, the kids that you're worried about. You know, those are the ones where you're like, "I already am worried about the short." list of foods that you like to eat. So of course, yeah, that child is not going to select. No, no, is it, no absolutely. <laughs> They're going to, kids are going to take the path of least resistance mm -hmm. when it's offered. And so if we open the door to you get to decide what is on the table, then we've, we've just limited our options. So kids need to see new foods to learn to like new foods. Right. Um, so that is, that is one, just one piece of the, the exposure puzzle. And the other thing around exploration, and this is a big piece of what I do. It's why I've created uh, products like, you know, my Curious Cookie cards, yeah. right? Um, it's why I've got my, the Curious Cookie food, food adventure mat. It's because parents don't know how to make foods fun for their kids mm -hmm. without the mess. Um, because you don't have to, to explore a new food. It does not mean throwing spaghetti on the wall. It does not mean making a you know disaster of your table. It means playing with purpose. And so the like the cards for instance what we do is you know, give parents different quick exploration ideas so what's a quick game that you can you know play with your kids um so as an example so there's 50 different ideas in this deck and it's, it's a collaborative game so mm -hmm. now the other piece is actually kristen is that we focus so much on the picky eater and getting them to eat that their anxiety goes up. And when their anxiety goes up, their adrenaline goes up and then their appetite drops. And so now they're not trying foods. But if we make it a family affair, let's all explore food together. Then the focus comes off the child. They can now feel part of the meal. And that is the purpose of the cards is to, to get the whole family involved in playing with food with a purpose and getting kids and in, in interacting with food. So as an example, one of the cards might be, okay, try to... Um, you know, use a food as a, as a chapstick. Mm -hmm. So now we're getting a food close to their mouth, right? Or we're getting it close to their face. Another one would might be find the food with the biggest smell at the table and find the food with the smallest smell. So these are quick hits of food exploration activities that now families don't have to think about what to say yeah. or what questions to ask. And so even if you don't have the card, just think about the sensory system and what kind of questions you can ask the family to participate in so that we're now getting our kids sensory system prime because when you think about it eating is the only human task that uses all the senses 
Yeah. yeah. We tell our kids you can't play with foods. So that is the purpose of exploration. I love that. And I think that I really like the idea of these products in the sense that it's just sort of like an engaging activity for the family. But in none of those things did you mention anything had to do with, and now we eat this, now you need to eat this, now we you know, have to eat three bites of, of any of this. It takes the stress off of it. It just becomes like a shared experience rather than um, you know, something that I'm required to do. Or I think the biggest thing, um, you know, a lot of times what causes the stress is this sort of idea of a power struggle that um, parents and children come to the table with. And, yeah. um, you know, I think that's a lot of times what, what kind of sucks the joy out of mealtime for everyone is anytime you walk into a scenario where you know that it's like either, you know, I have to do something I don't want to do to make someone else happy, or, you know, you walk in already thinking like I'm not backing down. Um, you know, None of those are a recipe for, for a pleasant uh, interaction. And so I love this because this is just like, here's the game we're going to play. And I think anything that, you know, even if it's not specifically about the food, sometimes it's just a topic or a game to play or something to make this experience is the focus is really yes. just on this being a pleasant, fun, social, communal experience for us as a family. Um, and for I think sure allowing the child to come to the table with that idea, but also allowing the parent, for me at least, I think is also very liberating. When I come and it's like, my only job is really to make this like a fun family time. Also, I'm like required by law to provide you food, so here's food. Do you know what I mean? And like kudos even there if I can if I can progress from there and say, and we're gonna add a little more variety and I've found this cool recipe that I like everybody to try, fine. But I think when I make that my first focus, not only does that take the stress off, you know, I'm not like, I need to get him to eat the chicken. Uh, yeah. You know, instead it's like, we're just gonna play a game and we're gonna have fun. Everybody loves yeah. that. Yeah, and- Well, you know, it, it, and what's interesting, you know, but what you said um, is when even though, so if you take eating out of the equation and not make it your goal, so you're not saying have a few bites or try this and then you can have this, even that when you focus on the right things, like if you focus on, um, if you do some of the things that are suggested in the cards and you're doing some of the sensory activities, you're actually, the, the end, the result ends up being eaten, eating in many cases. Right. Because you're not focusing on that. You're giving your child a chance to go up those steps that we talked about. And so each of those cards essentially is speaking to one of those steps on, um, on that staircase. So being, you think about the staircase, you want to think about this going up each of the senses right mm -hmm. so can my child handle tolerate the presence of food can my child tolerate the um touching touching the food smelling the food because some kids do not like the smell of foods and that will smell and taste are connected so that means if they do they dislike the way a food smells they are not putting that food in their mouth so we need to work ourselves up and work our kids up this these mini steps so they also can feel successful mm -hmm. right because if we only acknowledge um, you know, when a parent um, in the membership had mentioned, you know, I, I was celebrating my, you know, my child within our first week in the membership, they were eating new foods. And I was like, great job for eating. I'm like, okay, but that's great. But what we need to do is be celebrating the little things they're doing. Like, great job coming to the table today. I love how you sat with me for five minutes. Or I love, thank you so much for passing me the bowl without spilling anything. Or, um, you know, I love how you you put that food on your plate. You've never done that before. So, and then they, they can say to themselves, oh, okay, well, I don't, mommy and daddy, I can actually make them happy by, it doesn't have to just be by eating, mm -hmm. right? It can actually be by doing these baby steps, which actually get them to eating faster if we don't push them there because control is a big, is a big piece of the puzzle here. 
kids want they don't have control over a lot right. and eating is one of the only things that they that yeah they that they can control so we want to uh, we want to give them a sense of accountability and autonomy at the mm -hmm. table let them make their own decisions over what they try but kind of clear the path for them so they it makes it easy to take that next step right i think what you said talks a lot about just um you know a lot of it has related to sort of these parenting styles in general like i don't know if you're familiar but uh you know i've seen like parenting styles kind of broken down into this like authoritarian permissive and then this sort of authoritative uh, strategy. So the authoritarian being more like controlling everything. And so to me, those are those people that are like, you know, you'll sit here till you finish your plate or or maybe the very restrictive, like we don't ever eat sugar. You can never have these foods. Um, then there's the permissive, which is sort of like living wild and free. Like my kid just like goes and gets cookies whenever they want. Um, uh, versus like what they would call like an authoritative parenting style and that being more just like you said. So there is a certain like guardrails that you maybe put up as a parent to say, you know, this is this is the structure we use. This is where we sit when we eat. I decide what we eat with your input because I care about you and I, you know, respect your opinion. So I know you love this. So that's going to remain in the rotation. Um, and that these are the times we eat. We don't maybe just like eat all day. Uh, but at the same time, giving that child that sense of autonomy to make decisions within that sort of guardrails yeah. or those frameworks. And if you yeah. look, it's really that authoritative parenting style where we see kids able to develop healthy eating habits, uh, healthier relationships with their body. And it's really the only strategy in the long term, I think, that works those that way. And so I think that you hit the nail on the head when you said, you know, what's amazing is when you focus on the how, really being kind of the style that you approach all of this with that has nothing to do in the first place with what you're putting on the table, the other yeah. elements, the what kind of naturally improves. So when they begin to self-regulate and be open to eating new foods, the variety and the exploration and the willingness to be a more adventurous eater, um, the willingness to listen to their own body's cues, that all kind of naturally flows from that sort of approach to feeding. So I think that that's amazing. Um, so I yeah, really it's... love these strategies that you have. Um, if people are interested, I think that the um, tools that you provide with parents through your coaching and then also, like you said, these um, cards and your placemats, uh, if they want to get hold of some of these things or feel like this is really resonating with me, this is what I need in my life, what's the best way to get a hold of you? Yeah, so um, so generally daniellebins.com, so B-I-N-N-S, um, is uh, the, my website, so you'll find you know my blog there and uh, just some resources and got a, a number of like freebies you can download. Just if you're just need, needing little nuggets of, of support, uh, the Balanced Lunchbox actually is a really great tool that parents are loving right now because if you're wondering how do I create a lunch that my kids are actually that's actually going to fuel them for, for the day, uh, there's over 60 ideas in there, so definitely grab that freebie, and uh, I can give you the link to that. Kristen, if it's helpful. You bet. So, and then for the, you know, a lot of parents want to work with me, but working one-on-one -on -one is maybe not, people don't have the time or the resources and whatnot. So I wanted to make it easy, easier for families to have wins at the table. And so to your um, earlier question about the Curious Cookie products, there's a 
the mealtime fun cards, the food adventure map, which is um, both have been a huge success in terms of getting kids to try rejected foods a lot faster. Uh, even your pickiest eaters. So you can find us at curiouscookiekids.com and then on Instagram at uh, Danielle Bins Nutrition and Curious Cookie Kids as well. Awesome. Well, thank you. Those are excellent resources. I'm sure just about every parent can find something in there that they'll find super useful. So thank you so much for joining us and for the amazing work that you're doing. Yeah, great. Yeah, and um, congrats on your book. I can't wait to uh, to see and grab it when it comes out. No, thank it's been a fun you. chat, Kristen. Thank you, you too. Thanks. <laughs> Bye-bye. Thanks for joining us for another episode of Feeding the Family. We would love your help in getting the word out about our podcast so that we can help more families. If you haven't already, go ahead and hit that subscribe or follow button. And we'll see you here next week.